Thank you, Lord, because you are awesome. Hallelujah, that was great. It's good to be here again. Rabbi Scott, say hello on behalf of his family. I'll welcome you with this amazing word and service. And this is Congregation Bethel and I, which means the house of the Lord. We have people from almost every nation in the planet in here. And um, we even have people from the great state of Georgia. How do you like that? <laughs> there are a few of them, but you know, they, they are here. Yeah. So this is uh, a double blessing today, as uh, my good friend and brother Steve mentioned it. It was a great word, by the way. Uh, okay, this thing is giving me a hard time. Okay, back here and there. Good. Okay, we're all set. So, anytime we got into this special season of the Biblical Spring Festivals, uh, our hearts get very happy, right? We got ra happy, we got into this amazing era or time, season. Uh, the months are getting greater because they're getting hotter and yellowish by the pollen and everything. But it's not a complaint, it's just a fact. That's what's happening out there. And so... But also at the same time, when we get into these uh, celebrations every Shabbat, we got very interesting chapters of the uh, yearly Torah cycle that we need to discuss. And some of them are very confusing, very confusing and very, uh, for some people, annoying. I used to get annoyed with those verses. I was like, why I have to read about this if I'm not a priest? I'm not a Levite. I will never see those kinds of illnesses in people's skins. And I, I'm not a doctor either, so you get into those kinds of things. Until you get to the point that, wait a minute, this must be something beyond that. It must, it must be something spiritual. So I, I, like to talk, uh, I like to talk about a little bit about, about Hasha, uh, Hagadol and the Messiah's Pesach, because we all talk about Pesach, but we need to understand. I know you know all of these things, and I've been telling you, repeating things for many years already, and I like to repeat it again, because that's what the Bible is. That's why we follow this cycle of the Torah. Um, and as Messianic believers, we like to keep our understanding matching with the biblical text as well. Also, unfortunately, I will say, around this season of festival, some, some messianics, not from Bethel and I, these are messianics from Mars, okay? From the planet Mars, not in here. They also got, they start certain debates about the chronology of the Messiah, about when these things happen, why we do this, the appropriate things to do the Pesach and so on. And we got divisions. Again, not Bethel and I. It's people in Mars, okay, that we've been hearing about it. Um, that we lose the moment. We lose the appropriate time that what the Messiah did with his death. Not only his death, but we, we shouldn't concentrate just in his death but also when he was born, when he was living, what kind of teachings he was giving us. Uh, we Then the sacrifice, of course, his death, his resurrection, very important. And then uh, his ascension to heaven. Those 40 days that he was in here talking, uh, as someone was saying, a crash course about what was going on, uh, the verbal issue of what, what he was teaching to the disciples during those 40 days is very important to understand and to know. So I'm here to remind you about these important days. 
First thing I, I ask anytime I start to read something or to study something, I ask myself, what are we? Or where I am? What time is it? You know what time is it? You know what time is it? What time is it? Huh? It's time to celebrate the holidays, people. That's the time to celebrate the holidays, okay? It's not time to fall asleep. It's not time to, you know, it's time to wake up and look in time and space. Uh, and so God left this time for all of us to understand. The Bible says that the first month of the year for you, for us, shall be Nisan. And so this is a new year, a new spiritual year. We celebrate many things, right? We don't even know what we are celebrating anymore. The world out there is very, um, very full of things that we celebrate. People celebrate anything and whatever. And uh, just, you know, anything that is partying, right? Uh, what we do in a celebration, we eat, we drink, we talk, we do things, right? But the more Edim times special times that the Lord wants us to be with him are these times. And I'm going to use some of the, uh, uh, some of the uh, slides that are used in the, my class about Nissan. And this is one of them. I just love that watch, don't you? It's just nice, huh? And so Nissan is the first, the first month of the year. We're going to have three important months, Nissan, ER, and Sivan, that we are going to uh, celebrate the cycle of the Torah. This is what I call the Torah cycle. And the Torah cycle should be daily. On a daily basis, you should pray. That's the tefillah. Three times a day, you should pray. If the Muslims pray five times a day, and they even have a time and a space in their workplaces to do it, why we don't? Okay? Why we don't ask to our bosses, listen, I got to pray. I need time for me to pray. I don't know why we don't do it. Some of you do it probably. People in Mars are doing it. And so we, uh-oh, uh uh-oh, sorry about that. What am I doing? Am I doing it or are you doing it? Who's driving it? Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, no, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, I, sorry about that. What am I doing? All right. All right. Very, I'm sorry about that. Open your Bibles and pray for me. Um. No. Are you doing it or I'm doing it? I'm doing it, right? I'm the, and this thing is getting crazy. This thing is getting crazy. All right, let me... Ay, ay, ay. Can someone help me with this? Uh, I, I want... I don't even know. The, the one before that one, but this is getting crazy right here. Antonio, can you help me with this, please? Just come and re reset it for me. Okay, so you got the tefillah. Because I can't see that thing from here. All right. You got the tefillah, and the Torah cycle, I was telling you, should be on a daily basis, okay? In a daily basis, what you do, <clears throat> just give me the, the, all the windows so I can just go in and touch them. <clears throat> There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Antonio. An applause for Antonio. Yes, Antonio! <laughs> All right. Um, right there. So we got the, I was telling you, the, the Torah cycle, which is in a daily basis, you pray three times a day, and then you, you in a week, you go to a Shabbat, then you celebrate Rosh Hadesh, right, Rosh Hadesh, and then you go to 
the festivals and throughout the year, and then we go back to the future, and we just do this cycle, this beautiful cycle. We are in Nissan again, but we are celebrating also a link of three months, Nissan, Yar, and Sivan. Why is important? Because within these three months, we got important celebrations. It's not just Pesach. It's not just the two days of Pesach. We're moving up. If you realize in those pictures, I'm trying to give you this idea that anytime you go to a holiday, you go through this Torah cycle, you're going up. You're getting closer to God. Yes, we have the blood of Messiah to get near God, but we also need to celebrate these seasons because we might forget about God. I mean, every day sometimes we forget about God. He wants us to be with us all the time. He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to be together all the time. But we tend to run away from Him because we like to play with other toys. The world has many other toys, very fun toys that we can play with. Right? You name it. There's many toys you can play with out there. I don't, I don't, don't tell me about it. But anyways, you got Nisani, Yar, and Sivan. What we got in there is Pesach, then the counting of the Omer, and then we have Sivan. We got uh, the, the month of redemption, the month of splendor, where, you know, Yeshua was here for 40 days, and we are counting the Omer. We are ascending. We are counting up. And then we got to the month of Sivan, where is the month of Revelation. It's when the Torah is revealed to us. For that purpose, we need to be ready to escalate up, to go in a spiral. All the time we are moving up. Anytime we celebrate something and we, do, we perform a mitzvah, a commandment, we are moving towards God. Okay, we're moving towards God. And so, uh, we've been looking into our, our um, cycle, some very interesting things. Like last month in Adar Shinei, this is a leap year, a, a Jewish leap year, so we've been celebrating and we, we, we've been seeing certain things. We celebrate, for instance, Purim. The fast of Purim and Purim and the Shushan Purim and Shabbat Parah that we read before. And I highlight the, the, the Purim scene, scenario because it's not just about the beautiful performance that we have here, the dances and all of that and the costumes and all of that, but it's, this happened in the month of Nisan. All of this happened in the month of Nisan. And, and when you parallel the events that happen in that period of time and in, um, in Persia, in those period, in the Persian Empire, God was hidden all, all the time because they were prohibited to, to, you know, to celebrate. However, Esther kind of celebrated those things, the banquet, uh, the, uh, the three days of fasting and all of that, you know, three days. Anytime you see three in the Bible, it means something. It's a flag for us to understand what's going on. What is three days? And so all those things are happening. We have no time to move on to that. But um, just think about it. Parallels, putting parallels, Nissan, the, the gallows. The gallows are a westernized idea of an execution place. That's in the uh, Wild West place, you know, remember, and hanging people is just for the West civilization, in the Eastern civilization, and in that period of time, it was a, it was a tree, uh, a big post, a big stake, where people were used to be impaled or nailed to it. So, Marochai was sentenced to be nailed to that cross, basically. And so it didn't happen. It happened, uh, thanks God, that Holocaust stopped in that period of time. And so that's why I wanted to bring that to your attention, that Purim happened, really happened, when you read Esther 3, you're going to realize it happened in the times of Nisan, the, the month of Nisan, the month of Aviv. And of course, we celebrate in the month of Adar. 
but it happened in Nissan. And then we have these uh, amazing things that we are celebrating right now. We are in Nissan. We, uh, <clears throat> last Shabbat, we, uh, that was Nissan the first, we celebrated, we read Tazria, we celebrated the Shabbat HaKodesh, and uh, which is specific for uh, right before Pesach. Then you have Rosh Chodesh Nisan. But today, today is uh, 13, April the 13th, uh, Nisan the 8th. We are reading Mezorah, uh, and it's Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat, which is amazing. And then during this period of time, we're going to, uh, on the 14th, we search for the Hamas around 9, 19, according to the rabbis, and then we, uh, on Friday, we're going to do the Erev Pesach. And uh, it's the fast of the firstborn. If you're a firstborn and you want to fast, and you're a male and want to fast, this is a good time for you to do it. It's not a complete fast, because then you're going to eat that night, that dinner. Uh, you have the same Friday, you stop eating hamets, of course, no more bread, no more sandwiches, right? No more... Uh, uh, bagels and things like that. Uh, you burn the hammocks, it's another celebration in, at home. And Friday night is the first seder. And then you have the second seder on Saturday night. And then on Sunday night, you start to count the armor. Counting the armor is very important. And so, and that's the way the the uh, the calendar goes. We still are in, wh what are we? Where are we? We are reading all these, for some people, nonsense readings, right? You read them and you're like, ah, oh, what is this thing? And then you feel like it's like a repetition of things. And, you know, this is about, uh, this, and it's, it's not a coincidence that around these spring holidays, we've also been reading, you know, a good number of interesting partial readings, especially from uh, Sefer Vaikra, the book of Leviticus, the majority of those passages have to do with korbanot, sacrifices, kashrut laws. That, when you get to the kashrut laws, the, the, the laws of culture, kind of makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, that, this makes sense. But then you move into Tazria and Mesola, and you're like, what is this thing? I don't, I don't get it. In the class, we got very interesting discussions about it that I'm not going to tell you, but very interesting. Right, Nali? And then, <laughs> and then we have, you know, for an average believer, those readings are kind of confusing, and they might make no sense. Since the sacrifices and purities are to be performed at the temple but an is, by, by an established priesthood, or Levites, and so on, and we're not Levites. So that's the question. What all of this have to do with it? So let me read something about, about it in, from the Chumash. The Chumash, a couple quotes, very interesting quotes. He says, The sages teach za'arat is not a bodily disease. By the way, za'arat doesn't mean lep, lep, uh, leprosy. Leprosy is a new word. It's from, it's from uh, uh, the Greek lepra. But it's not the same thing. Leprosy is something new. Uh, it has a few centuries. It's something that, it's, this is a different kind of thing, okay? And so it says, the sages teach, Zarat is not a bodily disease, but the physical manifestation of a spiritual malaise. A punishment designed to show the malefactor that he must mend his ways. So remember, you hear what, what uh, Steve was saying uh, before. You got isolated. That's the first thing that's happened. Very interesting is that who put the, the one who put that mark on you is God himself. God himself puts that mark on you. And he's, he's doing it because most of the time we don't, we don't understand ourselves. We don't know what we are doing. And so we are doing some kind of things that you know, keep in mind that these people were so close to God. God was right between them, right within them. So they were so close to God that the spiritual level of themselves, they needed to be very high. 
You need to be really, really high. As close you go to God, the holiest you should be. The primary cause of Zaharat is slander. As the sages says, the word metzora is the contraction of metzia ra, one who is spread slander. Similarly, the sages teach in various midrashim that the affliction is a punishment for the sins of bloodshed, false oaths, sexual immorality, pride, robbery, and selfishness. The pattern that emerges is that it is a divine retribution for the offender's failure to feel the needs and share the heart of others. God rebukes his antisocial behavior by isolating him from society so that he can experience the pain he was imposed on others and heal himself through repentance. This is all about repentance. So God is giving us this opportunity to search into our hearts and watch if we have any afflictions. The afflictions are different, not necessarily on your skin, but some kinds of other afflictions that we're going to talk about later. And so then you look for repentance, teshuvah. That's the most important thing right before the holidays. So when you sit in your table, the Pesach, you're not smiling very hypocritical, but you're smiling because you really are free. You really are redeemed from the Egypt that you sometimes we created on Egypt. So the purification, the unique laws of the Mesorah, and the Mesorah is the person afflicted with Zaharat, have established that despite the fact that his contamination is manifested in change of his in a change of his body, it was caused by his degraded spiritual condition. Being alone outside the camp gives him the opportunity to reflect on his deficiencies and to repent so that he can once more become worthy of becoming part of his nation. As soon as that change takes place within his mind and heart, the same God who afflicted him will remove the mark of his degradation, and he can begin the process of return. Can you see the love of God in all of this? Can you see his love and his, his, his amazing compassion for us? That he puts something to remind us, uh-uh, there's something wrong with you. Because we, you know, we tend to, we tend to not accept criticism. We can give criticism, that I can give you many criticism. I can criticize many things and peoples and authorities and things like that, but I cannot accept a criticism to myself. And, um, but God does. He don't care, right? Boom, put a mark on you, on me. I will say me. And then he will, uh-huh, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to change? Are you going to continue the same way? And so we think about it when we are isolated, and then we, uh, we come back. Another thing is arrogance and humility. Atonement for sin requires that the erstwhile sinner purge himself of the moral flaw that causes his misdeeds. The underlying cause of slander and gossip, the sins that are punished by Zaharat, is haughtiness because it breeds the contempt for others that let, lets one talk about them chaosly. The Methora's repentance entails a resolve to change himself, a change that is graphically symbolized by the following three items that accompany his offering. What is the things that accompany the offering? And this is where anything starts to make sense. Wood and cedar, because it grows tall. Wood, this wood of cedar, wood of cedar, it grows tall, imposing, and why? The cedar symbolizes haughtiness, according to Rashi. You know, the cedar tree, I never see a cedar tree. I don't know if you, you did. But I like cedar. Uh, I mean, it's a nice wood, right? And it smells good and everything, but it grows tall and, and arrogant, imponent. And then you have crimson dye, wool, and hyssop, or hyssop. I will say hyssop or hyssop. 
He's up. He's up. The wool is dyed with a pigment made from a lowly creature. Thus, it symbolizes the penitent's newfound humility. His up, a lowly bush, symbolizes the same idea. It's a very lowly, compared with the cedar. You know. Me and fix. So you can get the idea. Okay. So, <laughs> so you have the idea. And so this symbolizes, you know, being humble. It's very important to be humble. Yeshua and the purification of our hearts. We have been purified by the work of our Messiah Yeshua. That's the good thing. That's the good news. While continuing to expect the blessed fulfillment of our certain hope, which is the appearing of the Shekinah, or Shekinah, whatever your accent is, of our great God and the appearing of our deliverer, Yeshua the Messiah, we gave himself, he gave himself up on our behalf in order to free us from all violation of Torah and purity for himself a people who will be his son eager to do good. Titus 2, I think it's 13. I messed up the numbers, I'm sorry. But it's Titus 2. You look, you've got to read the whole chapter. <laughs> How much more the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, will purify our conscience from works that led to death so that we can serve the lying, the living God. Hebrews 9.14. So as believers in Messiah, how do we purify ourselves today? Let's look at some verses from the Apostolic Scriptures. Therefore, my dear friends, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that can defile either body or spirit and strive to be completely holy out of reverence, out of reverence for God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. So the Torah talks about the purification, how we purify ourselves today. This is one of them. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Clean your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. This is James. James, is, this is the brother of, of the Lord, Yaakov, uh, one of the first Sadikim uh, uh, ever from the apostolic community. Uh, Yaakov 4.8. I mean, if you read the whole thing, it's just, there's a whole study by um, uh, Sheryl about this. It's, it's, it's amazing how he puts this, you know, uh, uh, together from Kedoshim, one of the portions I'm going to read very soon. So this is not new. It's not that the apostles invented something. This is not new. It was already in the Torah. And the Torah is very, very, you know, specific and harsh sometimes. And then it says, if we acknowledge our sins then, since he is trustworthy and just, he will forgive them and purify us from all wrongdoing. He will purify us. That's First John 1, 9. And everyone who has this hope in him continues purifying himself, since God is pure. First John 3, Three. There are many others that we might read. Talks about baptism, you know, because some people says, "Okay, you just baptize and that's it. You got pure all over the place." Well, he's talking about, for instance, Romans six three and four. Don't you know that those of us who have been immersed into the Messiah Yeshua have been immersed into His death? So He's asking us, we've been immersed into His death. So baptism is, is, is a metaphorical idea to, to follow his death, right? Through immersion into his death, he, uh, to, through immersion into his death, we were buried with him, the text keeps saying. So that just as through the glory of the Father, the Messiah was raised from the dead. Likewise, we too might live a new life. It's not like you're going to baptize and then you live whatever you want to live of. You've got to follow the Torah. You've got to follow his word. There you go. Baptism might be the solution. I don't think so. But wait. Like all of God's commandments, only works 
when the person who is being immersed is doing it with faith and by faith. If not, we can ask Mark 16, 16. He says, whoever trusts and is immersed will be saved. Whoever does not trust will be condemned. So this is not an a insurance policy. It's not a life insurance policy, okay? It's, it's something you gotta, we got to follow up. So even the participation of, in this act of immersion is symbolically a participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah and the privilege of following him into the presence of God in heaven. It is a metaphorical explanation of, of how the Apostle Paul and the Apostolic community understood the Torah in order to add more members to the emergent communities, the believers in Messiah named the Way. There are a few more verses from the written record of the apostolic scriptures that talks about purification. Acts 21.16, purify himself. He says, the next day Shaul took the man, purified himself along with them, and entered the temple to give notice. What, what is this purification thing? I mean, it was all over in the New Testament as well, the so-called New Testament. Acts 24.18 talks about that he had been ceremonially purified. Uh, and then he advised us in second, he advised the Corinthians that we can take the same advice. Second Corinthians 11 to 3, he says that we should present ourselves as a pure virgin in marriage. So that's how you got to understand the, 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 the customs and ideas and all that, what the Jewish people does. What a virgin does before they got married she got into a mikvah. She purified herself into a mikvah. Okay? And then she got married. Uh, it says in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee the passions of youth, and along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. Is that what that we are doing? Are we doing this in this season? We should do that in this season, right? Hebrews 9, 22, 23. In fact, according to the Torah, almost everything is purified with blood. Indeed, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, this is how the copies of the heavenly things have to be purified again, purification. But the heavenly things themselves require better sacrifices than these. We're reading a lot of text. Uh, now, that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. Another way to purify yourself is obeying the truth. So that you have a sincere love for your brothers. Love each other deeply, just the way we do here in Bethlehem. With all your heart, you have been born again. So this concept of born again is right in, stars in the Torah by doing these purifications. Remember this guy got isolated and then he changed his heart. The priest, not a doctor, because this is an spiritual illness. Because it's an spiritual illness, there will be no doctor in the planet that will understand that. Okay? Uh, the rabbis teaches that the, the, this, this Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, he used to look into your eyes and understand you by looking into your soul. That's how he close was to God. That by looking into your eyes, he will understand your soul. He won't look at the skin exactly, but to your soul. And so he will get it and says, okay, you need to be isolated, which means you need to, re, you know, kind of recheck yourself. Redone on a spiritual inventory and see what you wrong. So he says here, you have been born again, not from some seed that will decay, but from one that cannot decay through the living word of God that lasts forever. And everyone who has this hope in him continues, continues purifying himself since God is pure. Everyone who keeps sinning is violating the Torah. Indeed, the sin is violation of the Torah. That's what sin means. You already knew that, right? As we are approaching the Feast of Pesach, I encourage you all to refocus our 
our lives with these reminders of our need to purify in both, our need to, for purification both the heart and our lives entirely. Um, so we are in Shabbat HaKodesh and Hagadol, and this is the season. Last week, Shabbat HaKodesh, Shabbat Hagadol, now we're moving to Pesach. We're going to be uh, uh, celebrating as well the unleavened bread, the first fruits, the resurrection of our Messiah, which is going to happen soon, next week. And then counting the Omer, very important. We recommend you that you put a dollar a day while you're counting the Omer. So on Shavuot, you bring that offering to us. Okay? One dollar is what the cost of a coffee in the uh, quick trip. You know, I guess. It's one dollar or probably more. But it's okay. If it's more, put that what is more into the offering, okay? And if you drink a Starbucks, it's even better. Put the Starbucks money into the offering for 50 days. It's going to be amazing, I'm telling you. It's what, $4, $4, $5, 7 I don't know. I just pay. I don't, yes, go. Cling, cling, you know. We don't see money anymore, which is, you know. And so try to put that money in, in our, uh, you know, for, your, for the offerings of the Lord, special offerings for Shavuot. So today is Shabbat Hagadol. So let's talk a little bit about it. Um, Shabbat Hagadol is the great Sabbath, is the Sabbath before Pesach. Uh, there are a few readings that uh, uh, Steve already read about him. On the Sabbath that precedes the 15th day of Nisan, the regular Haftarah portion is replaced with Haftarah Shabbat Hagadol. Malachi, according with Malachi 3, 4 through 24 or 4, 6 in some Bibles, According with some customs, the Haftarah Shabbat Hagadol is only read when Shabbat falls on Erev Pesach. That's in some other congregations. Shabbat Hagadol is, it means the great Sabbath or the great Shabbat. It is a, a Shabbat immediately before the Passover. There is a special Haftarah reading that we already read uh, from the Book of Malachi. Traditionally, a lengthy and expansive sermon is given to the general community in the afternoon. So are you, are you waiting for two more hours? No. It started yesterday and it began, you know, today. Uh, Shabbat HaGadol commemorates the 10th day of Nisan when the Hebrew slaves took the lambs that they were going to offer for Pesach and tied them up outside their homes to keep, to keep them until, until they offer it on the 14th. The miracle was that the, this was a God for the Egyptians. And they were, according to the uh, speculations of some rabbis, they says the Egyptians were in opposition to that. So the miracle is that they let them kill the Pesach lamb in, in their land, basically. The special Haftarah reading, we already read it, but it's about the, prof, the prophecy of El Elijah uh, returning before the great date of the Lord. It's, this is a great and terrific day of the Lord. Is this terrific or terrible? I think it's terrible. There's two different words. This messianic prophecy regarding the end of days and the return of the prophet Elijah is read at the time at this time because it is believed that Elijah will return at Pesach. This is why we include a cup for him in our Seder rituals. Some drink that cup, some done. I will drink it. It's okay. Uh, there's some quotes for, for this. Let me see. Shabbat uh, Gadom commemorates special Haftarah, the Messianic prophecy. I'm just trying to move along. Right there. Already mentioned this. All right. Um, D. Thomas Lancaster has a great commentary. And he says, Jewish tradition regards Elijah as the herald of Messiah. God took him up in a uh, whirlwind rather than allowing him a normal death so that he could reappear at the later time to announce the coming of Messiah. In Jewish legend, Elijah 
has been waiting to herald Messiah since his ascension, and he will appear just prior the messianic era to announce the Messiah's arrival. Elijah's mission is to call Israel to repentance in order to prepare the nation for the advent of Messiah in the hour that is to come when he will reveal himself the redemption will come to Israel as he says behold I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me Exodus 22 9 clearing the way means bringing about repentance and um, another rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda, says, if Israel will not repent, they will not be redeemed. Israel does not, Israel does not do great repentance until Elijah of blessed memory comes. As it is written in Malachi, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite their land with a curse. Blessed are you, O Lord, who desires repentance. Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer 43. Elijah's task of restoring the hearts of the fathers and their children is a call to repentance. So we are living in this period of repentance. We should read the words, and he will clear the way before me as an allusion to Isaiah's comforting prophecy of the coming redemption and the messianic kingdom, Isaiah depicts the messenger of a, as a prophetic voice calling out to clear the way for the Lord to enter Zion. And remember, we're celebrating also when Yeshua was entering, entering Jerusalem as a king. It's the last king from the, the dynasty of David, basically, of David, that he got into Jerusalem. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord and the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground be, uh, become a plain, and the rush terrain a broad valley. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, apostolic interpretation midrashically links the prophecies in Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3.1 to describe the calling and ministry of John the Immerser. As is written in Isaiah the prophet in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Johan and the Immerser appear in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark 1, 2 through 4. So you see, it was nothing new. It was something that um, it was already a, a midrash. Um, a, you know, the, the apostolic community were understanding the Torah because they were not... The written record that we're reading now of the apostolic scripture was not in place yet. It happened about... 34 years after the death of Messiah. And so uh, they were just interpreting the, 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 the Torah. Now, what it means then? What it means to be? What is the, the, the Messiah's Pesach? We need to understand, uh, if you want to go through all the details, uh, just go through this morning's uh, uh, teaching from Bobby Smith. It was amazing. Just go through it. And he will give you all the details of the, the Pesach and the counting of the Omer. Uh, it was just great. Just go ahead and, and look for it. But you've got to keep in mind, in, time, in this time and the period of the Pesach, his birth, life, death, his resurrection, his ascension, his holy temple. Remember that he is the living water. Remember the ingathering that is, 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 is taking place in here as well. His second coming, his kingdom, the world to come, and the final redemption. That's the things that, those are the things that you need to keep in mind uh, and, uh, as a process and establishment of salvation by Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeshua in the Passover. We are saved by his complete works. Romans 5.10, he says, For if we were reconciled with God through his son's death, 
when we are enemies, when we were enemies, actually, how much more will be delivered by his life now that we are reconciled? That's the one I... By his life. Okay. Romans 8, 32, 34 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? It is the Messiah who died and moreover was raised as is now at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. Then Hebrews 7.25 from the Tree of Life Version says, Therefore, he is also able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, always living to make intercession for them. Are you looking for a good intercessor? Right here. You have it right here. Yeshua, our Messiah. He is our intercessor, people. Sometimes there are people, not you, it's people from Mars, okay? People from Mars are always looking for a good intercessor because a good intercessor will get you there. It's right here. Yeshua is our, our intercessor for all of us. Hebrews 9, 24 says, For the Messiah has entered a holy place. I'm getting excited, people. I mean, he's in the holy place, right there in heaven, which is now man-made, and merely a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, in order to appear now on our behalf in the very presence of God. He's representing all of us. So, today, as you're getting ready to celebrate the last Pesach of our Messiah, I'd like you to keep in mind these ideas of redemption, the link between the holidays and the meaning of the sacrifice of our Messiah. You might ask, why today we don't see any of these physical manifestations of this spiritual Sarah, the punishment designed to show the malefactor that he must man his way. Why we don't see those things now? I don't know the answer. Sometimes I have to ask those questions myself. I have to ask those questions myself, especially when you have an affliction into your soul. I can tell you what the rabbis speculate on this. They speculate one of the answers is that the community then, it was so close to the Almighty that they were so sacred, more sacred, more holy than today's peoples of the planet, even the holiest than any other generation in the, uh, from the uh, peoples of Israel. The tabernacle was there, and they were so close to Adonai. But, okay, that's understandable. I can accept that explanation out of the many Midrashim that I've been reading about it. But I know that some of you might have some afflictions today. You might have some afflictions that I don't know of. Afflictions that are not manifested in your skin or in your houses. Today, there is other kinds of afflictions, probably in your finances, probably an illness that is finding no cure by the doctors, probably an isolation, probably you feel isolated yourself, some kind of sinful attitude you cannot get rid of. It might be an affliction to you. Maybe it's rage without you even know why you are so angry about it. Maybe it's a particular situation or a special relationship you can now keep up with and you need the help of the Lord. So if you need the help of the Lord, I'll encourage you to pray about it right before the, the holiday of Pesach. I'd like you to stand up and uh, let me pray for you.
And at the end of the service, as usual, you have the intercessors. These are peoples of the armies of the Lord, but we intercede to the intercessor, right? And so they are going to help you to, you know, to pray, to intercede for you. Let's pray. But before that, I want you to close your eyes and think about that affliction that you have in your life. That affliction that you have in your soul. That thing that you cannot get rid of. That you think that you're so dirty or so uh, uh, useless. Or your finances are not getting well no matter what you do. So I'd like you to make an inventory of your life at this moment. Make an inventory. Look into your own soul. Tefillah, prayer, means searching yourself, searching your own heart. That's what prayer means. So I invite you to search your own heart and realize what's going on into it. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart today. So now you probably found what is it? What kind of affliction is the one that you have in your heart? Because the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Yeshua, bring this affliction down. Put it in the abyss where Yeshua sent all the demons. Send them out of the bodies of my people right here in Bethel and I. Help us, O oh Lord, to be holy, to be unique, to go to the Pesach Seder and celebrate Yeshua's, our Messiah's last Seder, thinking about what he did for us. Thank you because he is interceding in our behalf. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us to get rid of these afflictions. All these afflictions are getting rid of. Help us, Father. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.